click Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. Now, here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Good morning. It is Monday, June the 20th. In the month dedicated to the most sacred heart of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The only reason to celebrate this month, to be honest with you, praise be to Jesus. I mean, yeah, there's a birthday or two along the way, but guess what? It's the month of the sacred heart. So enjoy it while you can. And today we're going to talk about a declaration of dependence by Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Great, fantastic book. I had the great pleasure of going through this. It's from Sophia Institute Press. And it is, I mean, what's cool about this book, I'm going to tell you right now, this, this, is, this is what's cool about this book, written in 1941, or published in 1941, America had not yet officially joined the war. We were only trying to, you know, use covert means of fighting that war at the time. And so it reads like prophecy almost. It's so good. It's just so good. And when you read it, especially in light of today's issues... Man, Fulton Sheen just comes alive. Al Smith is going to join us at 35 past the hour to talk about that book. Uh, uh, coming up in the top of the next hour, about an hour from now, if you can join us, we'd love to have you. Uh, retired Army Colonel Matt Dooley is going to weigh in on artificial intelligence. Is it sentient? Google is trying to hush their engineers who are whistleblowing on them about the level of art artificial intelligence and how scary that might be for mankind. That's coming up in the next hour. Lots of stories in the news, of course. You might pro I'm just going to put go on a limb here. 99% sure you probably did not hear this story over the weekend. Uh, more uh, Fulani Muslims attacked and killed Christians in Nigeria. In fact, they attacked two churches, killing some and, and uh, kidnapping others. So that's a story in the news. America's belief in God falls to a new low, 81%, according to a new poll. There's that story. YouTube is in the censoring game still, only this time they censored the January 6th committee. You know those, those, are those trials that they were, the hearings that they were holding? Well, they censored them because they played a clip of Donald Trump claiming electoral fraud, so they, so they slapped him. I thought that's hilarious. I didn't know that they slapped their own kind. I thought it was only the people on the other side. That's just fascinating to me. Hey, the Catholic Church of St. Matthew in Myanmar was burned to the ground by the Bur Burmese army. Did you hear about that? I'm not sure you did. And the World Health Organization has admitted that the lockdowns, according to the pandemic, resulted in dramatic rise in mental health problems. So there's that story as well. Speaking of which, uh, guess who's back in town after his mental health break? Rudy Carlos, good morning to you. The boy is back in town. How's that song go? Uh, something like that. Yeah. It's it's so good to be back. I'm here at home, actually. I'm working a little bit remote today. It's getting over a little cold, but I had a fantastic time in San Antonio. to yeah. my family out there. and Got to see a lot of San Antonio. It was really a good time to uh, to just relax Praise be to recuperate. God. Good Father's Day. You enjoyed your Father's Day? Yeah, I spent most of it on the road, but uh, we stopped at Bucky's and of course, uh, got myself God. some pecans there. Oh, they were good. <laughs> let me tell you. How about yourself, Joe? How was your Father's Day? Happy Father's Day, by the way. Who buys pecans at Bucky's? 
I mean, the only I meant reason... to get the cashews. I didn't read them. No, the pecans are the best. <laughs> Don't let Joe fool you. The, the number pecans one are the best. And number two reason to stop at Bucky's is not pecans. Okay. Okay. It's the bathroom. That's number one. And number two uh-huh. is venison sausage. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, everything else is a distant, you know, like, tenth place. Not even close. Uh. I mean, the gas isn't bad, I suppose, but the, the venison sausage is the only way to go. I mean, if you're not getting venison sausage... Can you actually say you stopped at a Bucky's? I'm, I'm technically, I don't think so. I don't think so. Hmm. You got to read the fine print. It's right there. What was your favorite? Well, what no was accounting your favorite, for taste, I guess. What was your favorite part of San Antonio? The barbacoa tacos at a uh, at a sort of a, a dive taco stand along the highway or something? I didn't actually get to taste the barbacoa, but I, I did enjoy the hill country. We went out to Fredericksburg and we uh, picked some raspberries, and uh, man, it's gorgeous out there. It, it kind of reminded me of being in California again, seeing all the, <laughs> the, the landscape there, so it was very cool. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, seeing all the other Californians that are there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you felt in good company, I bet. Uh, little yeah. California in the middle of Texas, praise be to God. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is nice. Speaking of which, Adrian Fonseca, did you... Uh, do anything interesting this weekend? Oh, yeah, all sorts of things this weekend. It was very busy, but most importantly, you know, we celebrated Father's Day, mm-hmm. and so that was great. We uh, went out bowling. We uh, got some, we might, oh, we had barbacoa, actually. My, my mom, there you go. My mom made homemade barbacoa, so that was very good. It was excellent. And then we went bowling. I, uh, I won, just for the record. And uh-huh. the can and we then verify that? Yes, I have pictures. Oh, oh I yeah, I weren't expecting that, were you? <laughs> but uh, that was it was good. Praise be to God overall. And what else we did? Oh, and today, yeah. you know what today is? Uh, the mm. feast of the Immaculate Conception. Ooh. I mean, the feast of the Immaculate Heart, rather. Yeah. So today we are celebrating the Immaculate Heart during the month of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Yeah. So praise be to God. Yeah, praise be to God. Well, we have a lot to cover today. In fact. Like I said, uh, besides Al Smith coming up at 35 past the hour, we're going to cover a bunch of stories in the What's Concerning Us section. And at the top of the next hour, Matt Dooley is going to be on to talk about artificial intelligence from Google. Why are the engineers diming them out, and why is Google suppressing the story? That's an interesting topic for Matt Dooley coming up in the next hour, if you can join us. All week long, we're going to have some great conversations. I hope you can uh, tune in and share us with a friend. We'd be very grateful to you. But let's pray. Let's start. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most sweet Jesus, that no one who has had recourse to thy sacred heart, implored its help, or sought its mercy was ever abandoned, encouraged with confidence, O tenderest of hearts. We present ourselves before thee, crushed beneath the weight of our sins. In our misery, O sacred heart of Jesus, despise not our simple prayers, but mercifully grant our requests. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And now your headlines with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to Catholic Drive Time. Today is Monday, June 20th, and here are your headlines this morning. The Epic Times reports reversing 2018 ruling. Iowa Supreme Court finds state constitution doesn't protect abortion rights. Republican Governor Kim Reynolds issued a statement praising the new ruling. She says, quote, Today's ruling is a significant victory in our fight to protect the unborn. The Iowa Supreme Court reversed its earlier 2018 decision, which made Iowa the most abortion-friendly state in the country. Every life is sacred and should be protected. As long as I'm your governor, that's exactly what I will do, she said, unquote. LifeSite reports U.S. Bishop strips Jesuit school of Catholic status for defiantly flying pride and BLM flags. 
In a decree issued on June 16th, Bishop Robert J. McManus rebuked the Jesuit-run Nativity School in Worcester, Massachusetts, for ignoring his previous directives about the flying of the Pride and Black Lives Matter flags. He says, quote, Despite my insistence that the school administration remove these flags because of the confusion and the proper theological scandal that they do and can promote, they refuse to do so. This leaves me no other option but to take canonical action, he wrote. They are no longer allowed to claim they are Catholic in name, and no sacraments may be celebrated on their campus. Reuters reports EU seeks to release Ukrainian grain stuck due to Russia's sea blockade. European Union foreign ministers will discuss ways to free millions of tons of grain stuck in Ukraine due to Russia's Black Sea port blockade at a meeting in Luxembourg. But it's unclear if the EU will get involved in militarily securing such a deal. Whether there will be a need in the future for escorting these commercial ships, that's a question mark, and I don't think we're there yet, said an EU official. And Breitbart reports Representative Matt Gates says Biden's IRS spent approximately $700,000 on ammo between March and June 1st. He noted that he and his Republican colleagues are trying to ascertain why the ammunition was purchased, noting there is a concern that this is part of a broader effort to have any entity in the federal government buy up ammo to reduce the amount of ammunition that's in supply, while at the same time making it harder to produce the ammunition. He painted a dire scenario where the government reduces ammunition production and, on the other hand, soaks up the supply of it. A USAspending.gov search lists the IRS's ammunition purchases, which occurred over a period of months in increments ranging from $3,000 worth of ammunition at one time to $92,000 worth of ammunition at one time. And those were your headline news this morning. God love you. The saint of the day is Blessed Thomas Whitbread. He was a native of Essex, but, all, but little is known of his family or early life. He was educated at St. Omar's and entered the novitiate of the Society of Jesus, that would be the Jesuits, on the 7th of September, 1635. Coming upon the English mission in 1647, he worked in England for more than 30 years, mostly in the eastern counties. Twice he was superior of the Suffolk district, one of the Lincolnshire district, and finally in 1678 he was declared provincial. In this capacity he refused to admit Titus Oates as a member of the society, on the grounds of his ignorance, blasphemy, and sexual attraction to young boys, and expelled him fortwise from the seminary of St. Omar. Shortly afterward, Titus, motivated by personal spite against white bread and against the Jesuits generally, fabricated the Popish plot. It was said later that white bread had a miraculous presentiment of the plot, and undoubtedly he preached a celebrated sermon at Liege in July 1678 on the text, Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of? In which he warned his listeners that the present time of tranquility would not last and that they would be willing to suffer, they must be willing to suffer, false accusations, imprisonment, torture, and martyrdom. Whitbread was arrested in London on Michaelmas Day, 1678, but was so ill that he could not be moved to Newgate until three months later. The house in which he and his secretary, Father Edward Maiko, and his, was, had been lodging was, was part of the Spanish embassy in Wild Street. But for whatever reason, there was no claim of diplomatic immunity, as was the case and for later priests. He was first indicted on the Old Bailey, 17th December 1678, but the evidence against him and his companions broke down. 
Oates testified that he had overheard Whitbread and other senior Jesuits plotting to kill the king in late April 1678 in the White Horse Tavern in the Strand. He was probably garbled second-hand information about an actual Jesuit meeting, which was then going on in Whitehall Palace. But no one corroborated Oates' story, and Whitbread could in good conscience deny the assassination plot that he had never been in the White House Tavern. He was sentenced to the be hanged, drawn, and quartered in Tyburn. The king, who knew that he and his fellow victims were innocent, ordered that they be allowed to die before being mutilated. Very kind of him. The crowd showed that on this occasion, its sympathies were with the victims, and it listened respectfully in silence as Whitbread and the others made lengthy speeches protesting their innocence. The others executed with him were John Gavin, John Fenwick, William Harcourt, and Anthony Turner. After the executions, his remains and those of his companions were buried in St. Giles in the Fields. Blessed Thomas Whitbread, pray for us. Praise be to God in all things. The gospel today comes to us from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Jesus said to his disciples, Stop judging that you may not be judged. For as you judge, so will you be judged. And the measure with which you measure will be measured out to you. Why do you not notice the splinter? Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye? but do not perceive the wooden beam in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me remove that splinter from your eye, while the wooden beam is in your own eye? You hypocrite, remove the wooden beam from your eye first, then you will see clearly to remove the splinter from your brother's eye. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. St. Jerome asks the question, uh, but if he forbids us to judge. How then does Paul judge the Corinthian who had committed uncleanness? Or Peter convict Ananias and Sapphira of falsehood? Hmm, good question, Jerome. How is this possible? Well, Haydock's commentary points out that St. Jerome observes Christ does not altogether forbid judging, but directs us how to judge. Where the thing does not regard us, we should not undertake to judge. Where it will bear a favorable interpretation, we should not condemn. Magistrates and superiors whose office and duty require them to judge faults and for their prevention to condemn and punish them must be guided by evidence and always lean towards the side of mercy where there are mitigating circumstances. Barefaced vice and notorious sinners should be condemned and reprobated by all. Close quote, Haydock's commentary. So, does Jesus condemn all forms of judgment? No, of course not. That's just silly. We know better. But there are rules to apply in judging others. We should pay attention to them and be careful to remove the beam from our own eye first. We'll be right back. Don't worry about it. We all know children have a natural innocence and a sense of wonder. Yet our world is full of distractions that can pull families in the wrong direction. But with the help of God and a church family, your children can grow in the security of faith, hope, and love. Weekly Mass provides that critical faith foundation needed in life. So if your family hasn't been to Mass in a while, we'd like to invite you home. Discover more at CatholicsComeHome.org. Among the many arguments relativists give to prove their worldview... 
One is that moral beliefs change. For example, they might say, we used to believe slavery was okay, but now we don't. If there were moral absolutes, well then moral beliefs wouldn't change. How do we respond? Well, we can ask the relativists if we've morally progressed in changing our country's slavery laws. Assuming they say yes, we can point out the fact that progress implies an objective moral standard that our society better conforms to today than it did 150 plus years ago. But if there's an objective moral standard that we've progressed toward, well then morality is not relative. So the relativist either has to give up on the idea that we've progressed morally in order to keep relativism or reject relativism to keep the idea of moral progress. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Coming up at 35 past the hour, Al Smith, editor of a book called A Declaration of Dependence, which is a reprint of Archbishop Fulton Sheen from 1941, published by Sophia Institute Press. Great book, super small, easy to read. It is just so good. Written in 1941, but when you read it with today and all the news going on in today, you're just like, oh, this is so good. That's going to come up at 35 past the hour. Stick around for that. We're going to be conversating with uh, Al Smith. But there are, as I say, lots of stories in the news that are a great concern to me, and I'm sure they are to you as well. Here's a story I saw yesterday. Um, America's belief in God falls to new low of 81%. Now, this is not the same poll that said less than half of Americans identify as Christians now. So we're not talking about Christianity. We're talking about... Uh, just belief in a higher power at all, right? Because now, for the first time ever, America, there's less Christians in America than ever before. So there is that. I mean, that is a very obvious and concerning story, to be sure. But this poll, in particular, just lowers the bar just that much further. (laughs) Do you believe at least in a higher power? Which is, by the way, one of the requirements for becoming a Freemason is you have to have a belief in a higher power. I'll never forget when I was a third-degree master mason in the Blue Lodge, being totally confused as how we let a Buddhist in. I'm like, they don't believe in a higher power. And uh, that particular Buddhist had to admit to a higher power in order to get into the lodge, and which they did. They let him in. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Let me read a little of this uh, about this poll that they've taken here. It says, The number of U.S. adults who say they believe in God has dropped to an all-time low of 81%, with liberals and young people less likely to profess a belief in a higher being, according to a Gallup poll released on Friday. When Gallup first asked, quote, do you believe in God, close quote, in 1944, 96% of Americans said yes. 2011 was the last year more than 90% of U.S. adults said they believed in God, with 92% saying yes. Belief in God has stayed below 80% ever since. So that's since 2011. Conservatives are the most likely group to express belief in God, with 94% saying that they have a faith. People of color are also more likely to profess belief in a higher power than non-Hispanic white people at 88% to 79%. 
Women are slightly more likely than men to say they believe in God at 83 to 80%. Married people are also more likely to say they believe in God than those who are not married to 88 to 77%. Just 68% of people who are 18 to 29 uh, years old say they believe in God, making them the least likely age group to do so. This is down 10 points uh, from the 2013-2017 survey. Liberals and Democrats are the least likely group to profess belief in a higher power at 62 and 72 percent, respectively. Is it, I mean, duh comes to mind? Duh? Like, obvious? Like, hello? I mean, like, what's new here? We all knew this. The country is not getting better. It's getting worse. I mean, just over the weekend, we saw uh, violence in, in a church in suburbs of Alabama and Birmingham, right? Let's pray for those victims. We saw violence on the streets of Washington, D.C. We saw violence on the streets of San Antonio, Texas. We saw violence on the streets of Chicago and, and elsewhere. But you probably didn't hear about the story coming out of Nigeria um, because it doesn't get reported. Because, I mean, after all, who cares about what happens to Christians in Nigeria, right? Two Nigerian churches attacked, worshipers killed and abducted. It says, a gunman attacked two churches in rural northwestern Nigeria on Sunday, killing three people. And by gunmen, they mean Fulani Muslims. Witnesses and state officials said weeks after a similar attack in the West African nation left 40 worshippers dead. The attack uh, uh, targeted four villages, resulting in the abduction of unspecified number of residents and the destruction of houses before the assailants managed to escape. It wasn't immediately clear who was behind the attack. I mean, who could it have been? Vladimir Putin? I'm just curious. Like, who exactly is doing all of this? Oh, yeah, the uh, Fulani herdsmen. My bad. Much of Nigeria, the article goes on to say, has struggled with security issues, uh, with the Kaduna as one of the worst hit states. At least 32 people were killed in the Kajuru area last week in an attack that lasted for hours across four villages. Worshippers were attending the church service at, the, uh, at a Baptist church as well as St. Moses Catholic Church. And on Sunday morning, when the assailants just came and surrounded the churches, both located in the same area. Quote, before the worshippers noticed, they were already terrorizing them. Some began attacking inside the church, then others proceeded to other areas. Close quote. Going on to say, quote, most of the victims kidnapped are from the Baptist church, while the three killed were Catholics, close quote. So how does this story relate to the poll about Americans, you ask? Well, let me just let me piece that together a little bit for you. I was reading in this book, Declaration of Dependence, which is just really, really good. I can't emphasize enough. We'll get into this more in the next uh, segment with Al Smith, the editor, and Sophia Institute Press who brought that together. But we're on a trajectory, and it doesn't lead to good things. Over the weekend, one of the other stories that was out uh, was a group of protesters, young women, who were going to the house of Justice Amy Coney Barrett and to protest this potential uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade with the Dobbs case, which we have yet to still hear and confirm. Uh, but everybody's very concerned about it. They promised rage if it happens, they've already attacked many, many pro-life centers, churches, and more, and they intend to do even more than that. As the country returns to its pagan roots, 
Uh, how do you how do you figure that, Joe? Aren't we Puritans at heart? Okay, I'll I'll just repeat. As the country returns to its pagan roots, as we return to something other than what Christ has given to us, what God intends for us, we will grow more and more debased as a society, as a community. We see this all the time. We see it in the story we had last week with Aaron Lee, whose daughter was groomed by her art teacher. And that's just one example of thousands all across our country. The increased violence on the streets and in our neighborhoods and in our communities because people have less and less uh, just sense, right? Less and less common sense, less and less charity. Just this weekend, as I was trying to take my family to Mass, one of the most common occurrences on the streets and the byways of Houston, Texas, where I live, is street racers and how they come and they take over the highway. They block lanes so that they can have street racing. And as this was going on, uh, the constable on the other side of the highway just sat there. Didn't do anything. Didn't even bother to turn the lights on, let alone like uh, get on the road and chase him down. I mean, why bother? I mean, this is what we're dealing with. It's a slippery slope. How much further would we have to go before we get to a point where people like the Fulani Muslims in Nigeria who can attack at will these Christians and nothing ever happens to them? No, they're never held accountable. The government doesn't stop them. I know that the president of that country is also a Fulani Muslim, so I guess that suppose, I suppose that gives them an advantage in that situation. But nonetheless, like they can do so with carte blanche. How much further are we going to get before that happens in our country? Because when, whenever I bring up the issues that we face today and sort of the, the uh, circumstantial evidence that I would put on the table to say, this is, uh, a, this is like the canary in the cage in the mine. Things are not going well. They're going very badly. Inevitably, someone, whoever I'm talking to, will say, but Joe, we aren't being martyred yet. Well, how much longer till that happens? I'm just curious. I don't want it to happen. I don't wish for it to happen. And quite the opposite. I wish it would turn itself around. However, we're already seeing churches being attacked, tabernacles stolen, graffiti, uh, pro-life clinics firebombed. In 2020, we saw massive riots to the point where they tried to invade the White House. Uh, but there's no hearings on that one, is there? Mm-mm. Cities burned, destroyed, billions of dollars in damage, lives lost, and uh, the hearings are on the January 6th issue. Hmm, fascinating. So how much longer do we have to go before we do see something like martyrdom on the streets of America? I hope it's a long way off, but I don't know that it is. And that's the bottom line, is as we go further away from God... We are going to see more and more of this. So what's the answer to that? Well, uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, I think, has some great responses to that. Again, I'll get into more of that in the next segment with Al Smith. But at the end of the day, as we've said countless times on this program, the one thing you and I can always do, the one thing we're supposed to do, is, is strive towards sanctity, is live in a state of grace, to make frequent use of the sacraments of confession and communion and others, to uh, strive for greater piety and fidelity, especially in a day and an age that as the society crumbles around us, we see that crumbling within and without the body of Christ. We're going to see the, the confusion. We're going to see the division. We're going to see 
the uh, the sowing of manipulative language, manipulative thoughts, manipulative actions within the church and without. But what is our job? Our job is to do the thing that we're supposed to do, which is live in a state of grace. And here's the reality, is if the church... If the church makes that determination, and by the church I don't mean that church that Christ founded, but rather the members of the church who's been given the mission but has sort of left that mission on the sideline, if that church, if the body has decided, you know what, this far and no further, from this point on, we are going to do what the Master has asked us to do, which is to convert all souls, well, guess what? Big changes would happen. Huge, massive changes would take place in the culture around us. Because there is only one mission, and it is to convert souls, to get as many people to heaven as possible before it is too late, while we have breath in our lungs. That is the mission of the church, and along the way we do other things. We do corporal works of mercy, and praise be to God, we should and must do those things. But if we aren't doing them at the service of the conversion of souls, then we aren't doing the mission God has asked us to do, to convert people, to baptize them, to make them disciples, to go forth to all corners of the planet, to draw all people to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to fill up that which is lacking in the afflictions of the body of Christ, that is the church, and that is to join Christ on the cross and to there, next to him, die, to offer ourselves. And I think that's at the heart of this issue. So, do we want to see this number continue to fall? Not only is less than half of our country actually Christian anymore, they have abandoned that, but now their belief in a God at all is dwindling before our very eyes. And that only means the society that gets worse and worse and worse. A dystopia. Like all the genre films that we've seen over the decades, like all the books that come out that we buy in droves and we watch unrelentlessly, we're going to make that future come to pass. Why? Because we have abandoned God. Let us return with our whole heart. Let us encourage our loved ones to do the same. There is hope in this world. There is light in this world. You know how I know? Because you have breath in your lungs. You are the hope to bring that light of Christ to your neighbor. We'll be right back. Al Smith of Breaking News is coming up next. We are a young and diverse generation, helping those in need and promoting human rights. We care for the environment. We embrace authentic witnesses and dream of a better world. Our passion comes from God, who loves us even when we fall, and cheers on our victories. If you sometimes wonder, is there something more? Then come and see at catholicscomehome.com. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed what happens when you try to keep up with the current fashions? You go nuts. When we are obsessed with keeping up with the times, we become slaves. Fashions are never settled. To chase something that is always changing is simply futile. It's not freedom, it's insanity. G.K. Chesterton says, The Catholic Church is the only thing that saves a man from the degrading slavery of being a child of his age. Christianity is always out of fashion because it's always sane, and fashions are always insane. The Catholic Church never has to worry about being behind the times, because it is beyond the times. 
Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired, and now more headlines. Reuters reports China launches third aircraft carrier named after province opposite of Taiwan. China launched its third aircraft carrier on Friday, the Fujian, named after the province opposite of self-ruled Taiwan, sending a statement of intent to rivals as it modernizes its military. The Fujian will join the Shandong, commissioned in, 19, uh, 1920, in 2019, and the Ning, which uh, China bought secondhand from Ukraine in 1998, and refitted domestically. China is still honing its ability to operate the carriers and integrate them into battle groups, something that the United States has been doing for decades. Only the United States, with 11 aircraft carriers, has more of the vessels. The Epic Times reports Biden bashes oil companies for going along with his plan to end fossil fuel. Responding to Biden's letter, the American Petroleum Institute and the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers stated that the U.S. refineries are currently operating at 94% capacity, among the highest utilization rates in the world, and that prices for oil and oil products are set on world markets based on global supply and demand, not by American companies. Refining costs made up to 14% of the total price of gasoline in 2021. The remainder includes 54% for crude oil, 16% for distribution, and 16% for taxes. Escalating prices have driven up the share of crude oil to 60% of the total this month. Justin News reports Texas taxpayers pick up $2.9 million tab to bus illegal immigrants to D.C. In April, Governor Greg Abbott directed the Texas Division of Emergency Management to charter buses to transport migrants from Texas to Washington, D.C. By the end of the month, Abbott had announced an effort to crowdfund the bus rides to offset the cost to taxpayers. That change came after criticism from some Republicans and support for the effort by some Democrats. A Breitbart reports swimming governing body bans males who have undergone puberty from competing as women. The organization has now ruled that males who experience puberty will be ineligible to compete as women and that only transgender athletes who claim to have transitions from male to female before the age of 12 will be allowed to compete as women. However, the group also decided to create a new trans category. 71% of FINA's 152 members voted at its General Congress to implement this new rule. And those were your headline news this morning. God love you. Praise be to God. Thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up to date. Good to have you back. Um, in his book, De- A Declaration of Dependence by Archbishop Fulton Sheen, writing it in 1941, he says, quote, The difference between paganism, the paganism of Hitler, and the paganism of much of the rest of the world is a difference only of degree, not of kind or quality or quantity. He goes on to say, What Hitler hands out in concentrated form we in America sell piecemeal. What Hitler sells wholesale, we sell retail. Paganism there has a social expression here. It has an individualized expression, but it is still paganism. Poof, this is like this is like the scorched earth policy here. I love this book. It is so good. Joining us now to discuss this book, republished by Sophia Institute Press, is the editor Al Smith. Good morning to you. Uh, Good morning, Joe. It's great to be here to share a little bit of wit and wisdom uh, from the Venerable Archbishop Sheen. And uh, it's hard to believe that we'd be looking at a book from 1941 and think that the good bishop was writing this book today for the year 2022. 
Yeah, it is so good. I mean, I, of course, it's Fulton Sheen, so it's easy to say. However, um, I think what was special to me in reading this book was the fact that he wrote this at a time where the United States was on the cusp, on the verge of entering the actual out-and-out armed conflict. We had already been fighting the Japanese in China clandestinely, and I'm sure we were spying on Nazis and doing other kinds of things. But actual uh, sending of troops and all of that had not yet happened. And so Fulton Sheen was trying to talk sense to a country that didn't seem to have much sense. But when you read this book, given today's circumstances, it's so good. It fits so perfectly well. Um, why was this like one of his writings that you felt Sophia needed to republish today? Right. Well, because I think we're starting to see war in our own backyard, um, we, we turn on our television sets, and what do we see? Ukraine and Russia fighting. Uh, before that, it was Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran. Uh, everything in the Middle East seemed to be blowing up. So uh, we've had enough war in front of us to kind of say, you know what, this is knocking on the door again. Uh, maybe I should do a little bit of uh, research on this. And Fulton Sheen, of course, has lived through two world wars. Uh, again, he has these life experiences. He studied in Europe. He understands the European mindset, uh, what happened in Russia for many, many years. And so um, he just wants to give us a little lesson history, uh, a lesson in history, I want to say. And um, again, that's what Fulton Sheen unpackages it. He kind of says, can I remind you of a few things that happened in history, you know, where communism was tried and it failed. So uh, this book is just a reveal to say, if you want to go down this road, go ahead. But this is what will happen. And but can I kind of coach you along to give you some reasons to fight the war? Um, if we're going to join, we have to have the right vision. Uh, Hitler has a vision with Germany. We need to have our own vision and to realize that we need to depend on God if we want to ensure victory. You know, Alan, the this book I was reading, so Joe was reading Declaration of Dependence, and I was reading War and Peace, and the these two books, I mean, they're amazing. I haven't finished War and Peace yet. It's very massive. But one thing that I noticed that kind of was interesting to me is, as someone, as Fulton Sheen was, traveling through Europe and going through and seeing the what was going on there and understanding the grandeur of the papacy, it was surprised me that he seems to not have a love for monarchy. He seems to have a very, um, very much a believer in the democratic process uh, done rightly. If he kind of has an idea that, oh, we have to be a moral society, a Christian society, and then the democracy will work. Uh, what say you, Alan Smith, or may, am I misinterpreting Sheen? No, I think, again, Fulton Sheen was saying we need to insert God. Um, the mistakes they made in 1918, uh, the First World War had ended, and they were writing the treaties. They were uh, trying to set the game plan so that we never had a second great war. And uh, where they failed is they forgot to insert God. And um, to really just say we need to give God a try, we need to uh, live by godly principles, and uh, then there'll be a sense of order. And, of course, he tried to uh, say, you know, could we have the church come to the table to provide the good counsel? And we look at the encyclicals that many of the popes have written, very powerful encyclicals with great warnings in them. 
and yet the world has ignored the wisdom of these popes. And uh, so I think it's this idea of Fulton Sheen was trying to say, we need to include God in our education, in our politics, in our economics. And if we don't, uh, well, then we'll reap destruction and failure. So, um, again, it's just that battle cry of a good parent warning his children. You know, in this book, A Declaration of Dependence, he's doing a systematic teaching here, uh, you know, starting from, from, from belief and faith and building up to uh, right understanding, judging things properly in front of you, whether it's the war or some other circumstance. Uh, and, and it's really so good, be, and it's done so quickly, too. It's not really that, uh, that thick of a book to read. But at the same time, he just lays the wood to things like relativism and this liberation theology you know, mindset and liberalism and socialism and communism. I mean, you're just like, college you is. This is like, if this were written today, you would have thought it was spot on. And this is 1941. Still blows my mind of how sharp Fulton Sheen really was. Right. And I think he starts off in the first chapter talking about the revolutionary tempo, because um, we hear that word revolution all the time. And he talks about the three characteristics of every revolution. Uh, one, it's irrational. Two, it's violent. And three, it's atheistic. And when I read the first chapter, I was hooked because I thought, isn't that today everything is irrational? You wonder what these people are doing. Uh, violence, of course, you mentioned that earlier. And uh, the rise of atheism. And it's not just an atheism to say, I don't believe in God. Uh, it's an atheism that wants to destroy. Um, he writes in the book about examples of in Spain, when the atheist would break in to the church and say to the nuns, Where's that bread you call God? Yeah. We want to destroy it. Yeah. Um, you know, so again, is this idea, it's uh, an atheism that wants to attack the church, mm -hmm. destroy the church, and especially attack its representatives. And so, um, again, just the first chapter, the revolutionary tempo, uh, we're in a revolution again here today uh, because of those three characteristics, being irrational, yeah. being violent, and being atheistic. There's so much here. There's so many quotable statements here as well. I was sharing a few of them anyway on my social feeds, but here's one. It says, quote, America must return to God humbly and penitentially, for if we continue to forsake God, God will forsake us. He is not only the God of mercy, but the God of justice. And though he suffers some to sneer, where is your God now? He is... Uh, he, in his turn, will answer, where are their gods in whom they trusted? Let them arise and help you. Close quote, Venerable Fulton Sheen, page 36. I mean, I take that especially in connection to this new poll that's out that says less than half of America, I don't know what Canada is like these days, but less than half of America are Christians and less than 80, or now it's 81%, believe in a god at all. Fulton Sheen seems to have read the prophecy of what was to come in our country and nailed it. And we refused to listen in 1941. Will we listen in 2020 and 2022 and 2024? Who knows? But we're going to conversate more about this with Al Smith and Sophia Stu Press about this incredible book, A Declaration of Dependence by Fulton Sheen. It's coming up next. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question. Should churches have a structure of hierarchy? Your average non-Catholic evangelical church would say, no, not needed. Why? Each church or denomination should be autonomous and choose their own way of governing. Well, that's wrong. Hierarchy engenders pride and ego. Same as false humility. What works in Tulsa may not work in Paris. Let's not forget that Jesus and his church cross international boundaries. So my Catholic friend, here's your toolbox for evangelism. Natural reason, the Bible and the church. Natural reason says all social and legal institutions necessitate certain human boundaries and designated leadership. Religion is not exempt. The Bible, St. Peter, St. James, John, and Paul's letters show clear standards of jurisdiction and authority with ramifications if ignored. And the Catholic Church says St. Peter Peter was given a chair, and from that authoritative chair, the Holy Spirit was promised to lead the chat chair till Christ comes. That is safe, and that is right. This is Steve Gleason with Catholic Questions Live. This is Jesuit Father Robert McTague, host of The Catholic Current, where we bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ. We look at current events through the eyes of faith. I hope you'll join us each Monday and Friday for guests and topics you can't afford to miss. That's the Catholic Current, heard Monday and Friday right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Venerable Fulton Sheen said, quote, The choice is clear. We will, as a nation, either go back to God and the moral law and faith in Christ, or we will rot from within. In exiling God from our national life, our politics, our economics, and our education, it was not his heart we pierced. It was America we slew. May God forgive us. Close quote. Venerable Archbishop Fulton Sheen, page 87, of a Declaration of Dependence. I mean, Al, this is... This is such good stuff. It's like, oh, why won't America listen? Well, it, it didn't listen, I think, in 1940. It didn't listen in 1920. It didn't listen in 1980. Um, when are we going to listen? And I think this is what Fulton Sheen is so refreshing. At. In a way, he, he's not afraid to kind of engage us. And, uh, you know, he'll ask us. He says, oh, you know, where's your God of science now? Where's your God of progress? How's that working for you? Um, now, in a loving way, don't get me wrong. And I think this is where Fulton Sheen carries us as we uh, read his wisdom once again to say, you know what? Um, he's going to say, okay, let's review the tapes. Let's see what worked and what didn't work. And, um, you know, and again, he proposes again, let's try it this way. But uh, he's not afraid, as you mentioned earlier, to say, you know, we're not going to church. Uh, we, we, we like to say we're Christian, but um, let's, let's look at this. You're not going to Mass. You're not putting your children in parochial schools. Uh, you're not um, you know, following the commandments. Uh, you have too few high loves and uh, many low loves. I like to say you know, this whole goal of choosing the higher loves of God and the church, uh, yet we choose the world. So uh, he wasn't afraid to just say, hey, How's that working for you? And um, again, uh, again, I think it's this idea of you make you shake your head and go, "You're right, Fulton Sheen. You're right. You're right." You know that makes me think of whenever Fulton Sheen throughout the book, because I'm kind of just flipping around and reading chapters that seem interesting by their titles. 
And one thing that Fulton Sheen brings up over and over again is the fact that we have to have a return. And I find it interesting that it's a, he uses like the language of return uh, for America, return to Christianity, return to the Bible, return to a sort of Christian civilization in a sense. And it's amusing to me because during his life, this is the, the beginnings of the language of separation of church and state. We have to get the Bible out of school. We have to try to do these things. And he kind of just implies implicitly that we shouldn't be doing that. That separation of church and state is whack and that we should, the church and the state need to be intimately uh, involved. The church should be influencing the state. Uh, what say you, Alan Smith? Well, Fulton Sheen was in, was emphasizing the training of a whole person. Uh, you know, there's a body and a soul and a mind. And but it's this idea of Fulton Sheen was saying, you know, if we look at our history of our founding fathers, the founding fathers wanted to insert spirituality into education. They wanted to insert spirituality into everyday life. And yet Fulton Sheen's saying, hey, we say one thing here, but we're working against that there. And I think that's where the dichotomy came is that, um, you know, when the schools started to pull away from teaching religious education, be this public education, they're saying, oh, we, we don't have enough time to teach them science, math, and history if we insert this religion in here. So um, we're just always fighting an uphill battle, but yet we know that it's a formula for success. You introduce God, morals, Again, uh, sound teachings, and you have a good society. So, uh, again, it's this idea of expose um, the theories that aren't working. This is what Fulton Sheen does so well. There is, I mean, I can go on and on and on here. Uh, quote, when the intelligent abandon, or the intellect rather, when the intellect abandons God, it creates an idol or a god of its own. For Nazism, God is the German race. For communism, God is the revolutionary class. For fascism, God is the nation. For some American intellectuals who have been trained beyond their intelligence and thus become intelligentsia, God is science or progress or democracy. Close quote. That's on page 10. I mean, I just, I love the fact that he calls a spade a spade uh, in every segment of society. And he, he, he is so clear. He's so concise. He says it so well, and he says it with passion. And I think that's probably what uh, I'm, I'm Catholics today are longing for. They want that clarity of, of vision, clarity of voice, and they want it with passion and confidence and conviction. But too often, our, our hierarchy, our clergy, our bishops in particular, they play both sides, they walk the fence line, they try not to commit. When they do, it sounds kind of loosey-goosey and wishy-washy. Why don't bishops speak like this today? Well, I, I can't speak to that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like I'm not a bishop. But um, again, I think it's this whole thing of they're catering to the masses. And uh, again, I love how Fulton Sheen brings the scriptures uh, into play so many times throughout uh, this book. And, uh, you know, he talks about, he says, you know, oh, there's many philosophers that say there's many roads that lead to heaven. Um, you know, there's many paths. We can get at this from different angles. And he reminds us in scripture that our Lord said there's only two roads. 
the road that's wide that leads to perdition and the road that's narrow that leads to life. And so I kind of corrects them using the Bible. And I think that's what Fulton Sheen does throughout many of his books. He goes to scripture and says, here's the correct answer. It's what Jesus said. It's what God said. And so let's go with by with the higher authority uh, and let's say the highest authority. So, uh, again, when are we going to try the godly wisdom versus manly wisdom? You know, one thing I love about Fulton Sheen is the fact that I get exposed to poetry and reading Fulton Sheen because I don't read poetry. And so I'm like, oh, okay, well, here, here's some good poetry. Whenever I'm reading, he just like inserts it in. But uh, that's a, kind of a more of an aside. Uh, my question is, what about patriotism? I know right now, I mean, people uh, all across the world are celebrating the immoral vice of pride. And so sometimes it's kind of confusing because you're like, okay, well, in what way is pride bad? And in what way do we say that pride is good? Is it wrong to say I am proud of my son? I'm proud of my daughter. Is it wrong to say I'm proud of my country? And Fulton Sheen talks about the virtue of patriotism, of course, subordinated to the love of God. But what is the virtue of patriotism? Wow, uh, that's a big question. <laughs> that's uh, hours and hours, I think. But uh, I think it's this idea of maybe it goes uh, back to the philosophy of what are we fighting for? You know, to be patriotic, we're defending something. We're, uh, we have some principles. And again, so I think of true patriots defend their country. Uh, they defend their rights, their freedoms, their liberties. Um, but again, I think quote Fulton Sheen would say, you know, what are you fighting for? And um, I think as I look through the different quotes in the book, and I think Joe has alluded to many of them. <laughs> and thank you, Joe McLean, for quoting every day on your feed. You were <laughs> quoting another quote and another quote. Um, but it, it's this idea of what are your loves? You know, what do you want to love? You know, what do you, you fight for what you love? And I think this idea of who is patriotic, uh, the great patriots are the great lovers. And um, again, maybe that's not the answer you were looking for, <laughs> but still, I think it's this idea of uh, just sorting out, you know, what are you willing to fight for? And uh, I think as this 4th of July comes uh, closer, uh, and again, many of us read the Declaration of Independence once again, I think hopefully they'll read the Declaration of Dependence, because when you look at that document, it's all about we need to depend on God. Uh, to have success. And um, so, again, I'll leave it back to you. Alan, you know, uh, to go back to something that Joe mentioned, you know, when we read uh, Fulton Sheen or even listen to Fulton Sheen, I was listening to one of his talks that he did uh, that was titled The Fourth Great Crisis in the Church. We listen to him, we read his works, and we think, wow, these things were written about today. Do you think that, uh, you know, when they were written, obviously people heard them, but they didn't correspond to, to the, these writings. Do you think that they're written for today? And what do you think is, is, uh, what do you think is the, the, uh, the thing that Americans have to do in order to return to God and to, to create a truly Christian society once more? Well, Fulton Sheen would um, recommend on all of his Holy Hour broadcast, um, again, to get on our knees um, and to share what we have in common, Jew, Protestant, and Catholic. Uh, we share the scriptures. Um, let us get down on our knees and let us pray an hour of prayer each day uh, in the way that you feel most comfortable for Catholics, uh, attend Holy Mass, uh, spend time in the bless with the Blessed Sacrament, 
or spend time, of course, praying your rosary, but still meditating on God's word. Uh, for Jews, uh, open the scriptures, uh, pray to God, and uh, to the Protestants, the same. And so uh, he was saying to us, we can work this out by getting down on our knees, and just the value of prayer. And so uh, every broadcast, he made a call to pray, to call to pray the holy hour. And I think we have to get back to that. And if we ask our friends and families, how often do you pray? Um, Ten seconds, five seconds, um, none, maybe uh, 30 seconds. Uh, are we praying? Are we really praying? And I think this is the key. Prayer is the key. Prayer changes things. And again, that was where Fulton Sheen was consistent. Mm. And of course, he you know, talked the talk, but he walked the walk in that he prayed his holy hour every day without fail, uh, 62 consecutive years where he never missed. So um, again, it's prayer is the answer. It really is. Archbishop Fulton Sheen says, quote, In the hour that is dawning, the church must defend democracy, not only from those who enslave it from without, but even from those who would betray it from within. And the enemy from within is he who teaches that freedom of speech, habeas corpus, freedom of press, and the academic freedom constitute the essence of democracy. They do not. They are merely the accompaniments and safeguards of democracy. Given a freedom that is independent of God, independent of the moral law, and independent of inalienable rights as the endowment of the divine spirit, America would vote itself out of democracy tomorrow. Close quote. Fulton Sheen. The book is called A Declaration of Dependence, Trusting God Amidst Totalitarianism, Paganism, and War, and it is uh, published by Sophia Institute Press. And what's the website, Alan? Oh, uh, SophiaInstitute.com, and we have a 25% discount if you order two books and use the promo code SHEEN25. Sheen 25, you get 25% off. And so I've written five anthologies. And of course, there's four other Sheen books uh, available through Sophia and many other books too. So sophiainstitute.com and use the promo code Sheen 25 when you order two books. All right, praise be to God. If you're looking for a great, quick summer read, a declaration of dependence might be your ticket. You can find the bigger anthologies there at Sophia Institute's website as well. Alan Smith, God bless you. God love you. Thanks for being on today. And God love you too. Praise be to Jesus. For those of you that can join us in the next hour, we're going to talk with uh, Matt Dooley about artificial intelligence. That's coming up. Otherwise, we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. Atheists have often viewed belief in God as wishful thinking, a projection of an idea because man fears death. But is this a fair claim? The answer is no, and here are some reasons why. First, not everyone accepts God's existence for this reason. There are many who acknowledge his existence on the grounds of reasonable arguments. Second, even if someone does believe in God for this reason, it says nothing whether or not the proposition, God exists, is true. And finally, third, the theist could turn the table and say atheists reject God simply because they're scared of a divine rule maker and don't want to submit. Obviously, this is not evidence that can be used in support of theism. So, is atheism justified because belief in God is wishful thinking? Absolutely not. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that.
that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we'll have you at the gate in plenty of time for you to get to confession before mass this evening. Wouldn't it be great if everyone regularly went to confession? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. G.K. Chesterton says, You are free in our time to say that God does not exist. You are free to say that He exists and is evil. You are free to say that He would like to exist if He could. You may talk of God as a metaphor or a mystification. You may water Him down with gallons of long words or boil Him to rags of metaphysics. And it is not merely that nobody punishes, but nobody protests. But if you speak of God as a fact as a thing like a tiger, as a reason for changing one's conduct, then the modern world will stop you somehow if it can. We are long past talking about whether an unbeliever should be punished for being irreverent. It is now thought irreverent. Hi, I'm Leon Fontana from St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. You're listening to KSHJ Houston AM 1430, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Drive time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Good morning and welcome back. Wow. Just so good, Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Just love his writings. So clear, so powerful, so quotable, so spot on. Great conversation with Al Smith. If you missed that, if you weren't able to tune in last hour, well, let me encourage you to check out our podcast which you can find linked up on our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. You can also find us on the Google Play uh, and on uh, let's see, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your apps, you should be able to find the Catholic Drive Time. But one of the best things that you can do is actually download the Guadalupe Radio Network mobile app in your app store. You could listen to your local live feed on the GRN station. Find local contact information, find podcasts and uh, programming. You can do a lot of stuff. Just search for the Guadalupe Radio Network mobile app in your app store. Download that today. It's free, and it's a wonderful way to listen to the Catholic Drive Time podcast to stay connected and up to date. Um, you know, with all the negative stories that we see in the news, guys, I lo- I- I'm a sucker for a good news story. I, I mean, I don't know. But like whenever I see like cop jumps into a pond to save children, like or puppy was saved, like I like I weep a tear and I'm just get like all emotional. I'm like this is good, man. I I love it when people do amazing things for other human beings randomly. I love that. And I saw this story this morning. I sent it to you, uh, Rudy, about this guy in Ohio who adopted five kids, foster kids, because they were all siblings and wanted to keep them all together. Yeah, I'm like that's such a good story, man. So good. Uh, so good. So good. So good. In a world of not good, this is good. And, you know, Michelle and I adopted uh, Stephen, our oldest. And so it, tug- it tugged on my heartstrings a little more, especially in light of Father's Day. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, college you is, well, uh, if our world is not in desperate need of good fathering, I don't know what is. Um, how did you guys celebrate Father's Day again? I mean, you guys, what did you do? Shark diving or... 
Sky jump, base jumping. Like, what do you do on Father's Day? We did, you know, underwater basket weaving. I is wondered. What we we okay. prefer to do. Okay. But um, it makes sense. You know, we weren't able to do that, so uh, we spent it most on the road, most of the time on the road. <laughs> oh, you went to Buckley's uh, for we, Father's Day. I we forgot. we spent yesterday. Uh, we went to mass in the morning, and then afterwards we went to the um, the basilica of the little flower out in San Antonio. And we saw that beautiful painting. You know, yeah. I was thinking it was going to be like a little tiny painting on the wall. It's, it's a not, massive it's painting. It's yeah. like it's as good. big as a wall. Like, yeah. like if you're looking at a bedroom wall, like yeah. it's literally your bedroom wall, a yeah. painting of St. Therese. So it was wonderful to see, uh, you know, to see that. And Maria enjoyed it as well. So, you know, I'm reflecting on on being a dad and it's just so wonderful to to be able to see your your child grow up before your eyes. I mean, she's only a, she's going to be one year old next month, mm. but it seems like every single week there's a milestone, right? Like she started walking this past weekend uh, on her own, unassisted in the hotel room, and that was just like a. I think that was one of the, the greatest Father's Day gifts that that I'm going to have for the rest of my life. You'll be chasing her for the rest of your life. That's what she'll be doing. That's what that means. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maria is mobile and it's over. It's over. Yeah. It's so over. But it's also fun to watch your kids grow, right? It's fun to watch yeah. your kids develop. And, and especially as a dad, what a beautiful thing it is to watch your kids uh, hit that next milestone. You give, I mean, yeah. my kids greeted me uh, yesterday morning as I got up and was getting ready for Holy Mass. My daughter painted me an image of Our Lady. And her, uh, you know, the the seven wounds of Our Lady and her immaculate heart. And I I just adore my daughter's paintings. I mean, I just love the fact that she has this heart for it. And and she paints these beautiful images of of the sacred heart of Christ for me and now Our Lady. And I just just love that. It just gives me so much uh, uh, joy in my heart to see my kids in this way, right? And a world that is seemingly getting darker by the day, I find great joy and hope in uh, in my children, so I'm very grateful to be a father. Praise be to God. Uh, let's uh, let's switch gears here a little bit. Let's talk about something that could be possibly more menacing. I don't know, but there was a story last week uh, that a software engineer at Google uh, came out and said that Google has attained uh, artificial intelligence that is sentient that can hold conversations at a seven or eighth grade level, seven or eight year old child level, uh, to include even conversations about God. So. That's interesting, and we thought we'd get an expert on the subject on. So Colonel Matt Dooley is with us, retired from the Army, and somebody who focuses a lot on robotics, artificial intelligence, and more. And good morning to you, Matt Dooley. Uh, Good morning. How are you guys? Praise be to God. Uh, You're a father, aren't you? I am. Um, I have uh, have two young men, and uh, we talk about milestones uh, my youngest just graduated from high school uh, and is in route to West Point. Oh wow! So, all of us Congrats! Yeah. Well, happy Father's Day to you, Matt. We're glad you're here. Uh, tell me about this story. This seems a little bit scary, actually, uh, and I think it is the stuff of fiction writing. It is the stuff of dystopian uh, movies. Uh, but where's the where's the truth in all of this? Yeah, I think it's a very good question. It's a very good Catholic question. We talk about uh, our responsibility and the sanctity of human life. Um, we complicate matters when we start talking about creating uh, synthetic life. What are our responsibilities morally and ethically uh, to, to build AI in a right way? Uh, the Department of Defense does have 
uh, a set of AI guidelines uh, that talk about the responsibility of developers, ensuring that it's it's accountable, uh, controllable, um, done ethically, uh, and and this idea of, of equity, uh, ensuring that it doesn't have biases uh, that would unintentionally create problems for certain demographics uh, or problems for humanity at large. But the question about sentience, I think, is is what we're talking about here. Um, what does sentience mean? Uh, it means that, that the intelligence is self-aware uh, and concerned about a couple of key things. One, uh, who am I? Uh, what happens to me when I enter the end of my useful service life? Who gets to make that decision and why? And if we don't have answers for that, the only thing responsible that we can do is just simply not turn it on. So the idea that, that if we have, if Google has a truly sentient AI, uh, that's a big deal because of the moral and ethical implications, let alone the technolo technology implications. Um, so those are my my first views when I when I read the article. Um, the second question that I had was, have we really truly defined AI um, and sentience? Uh, does the person who who revealed this uh, really understand what sentience means? Mm. Uh, is it able to to emulate? conversation at the seventh and eighth grade level or seventh seven-year-old eight-year-old level or is it truly self-aware uh, Google very quickly tried to walk it back and say no it's not truly set him that uh, yeah we are working on uh, creating AI but it's nowhere near as advanced as this person said it was how could uh, you know the difference between an emulating these kind of self-awareness and actually being self-aware because I mean, as a robot, I mean, uh, in my mind, you can never have it be self-aware. It's just pretending to be self-aware. It's it may uh, it's just simulating conversations. Um, so how could you ever tell the difference between whether or not they were actually self-aware and just emulating conversation? Uh, people write books about that. That's a great question. Uh, I think you know, sort of the Reader's Digest version is under understanding AI applications. There are three broad categories. The first one is data aggregation. So we talk about image recognition software and, and Google has been working on this. You know, when you enter in, show me a picture of, uh, of a giraffe or show me lions on the Serengeti, it goes through all these different algorithms to, to, to find you images that show you that which you're asking for. And machines are much better at data aggregation than we are uh, and, and just crushing data, uh, executing mathematical equations, but it's garbage in, garbage out those AIs have to be trained. So if you're looking for image recognition software in particular, uh, it's only going to give you quality imagery that you're looking up if it's been fed you know, literally millions of data points that show and train that AI. This is what a gorilla is. This is what a giraffe is. This is what uh, a, a Porsche 911 looks like. So that it gives you good information when you ask about it. <clears throat> the second thing, once we move away from data aggregation, are AI decision-making aids. Uh, for, for instance, let's say you're trying to, uh, to plan a picnic uh, and you've got a, a weather prediction AI decision-making aid tool that helps you understand that, hey, you probably don't want to have a picnic at noon today because the location you're going to, it's going to rain at precisely 12.03. Um, I've taken all these different data points and I've predicted exactly when the rain's going to begin and we're predicting a tornado going through that park 15 minutes later. 
so it's helping you make a decision. It's not canceling your appointment for you, but it's helping you make, as a decision-making aid, helping you make more refined uh, decisions. And then on the far, far, far end of it is cognizance, true cognizance, where the AI is not only playing chess against you, it's appreciating that it plays chess. And when it beats you, it's happy and appreciates the fact that it beat you. Um, it's cognizant in the way that you and I are. And we're not there yet. Just because it can fake a conversation and a decision tool tree uh, and give you um, random responses uh, that, that feel to you, seem to you like a, a seven-year-old, doesn't necessarily mean that it understands itself and understands its environment and the things that you're talking about in the way that a, that a seven-year-old human would. Uh, machines are good at compressing data and sorting data. They're not really good at making inferences, tying disparate data points together and, and making inferred guesses on things. That's, that's something we're really good at. It seems to me what's missing there is, you know, the soul. And obviously a machine will never have a soul. So, um, you know, I want to go back to what you mentioned about the Department of Defense and their, their framework for AI research, the ethical framework. I'm just curious, uh, from, from your understanding, is that, uh, that framework applied to anything like Google or any company or, um, or is it just specific to the Department of Defense? And also, is that framework based on a Christian model? Uh, that's a that's a really good question. Um, the Department of Defense um, is approaching this because of of the responsibilities of ethical autonomy when lethal decisions are made. So it's a good idea that that the DoD is looking at the problem and answering really tough questions. Uh, Google and industry don't necessarily have to answer those same ethical decisions because they shouldn't be creating AI that goes out and, and makes tactical decisions on a battlefield and decides who lives or dies. You, we want the Department of Defense asking those hard questions before we build those systems and turn them on. Uh, Hollywood doesn't do us any good at scaring us to death <laughs> with things like you know Skynet and, and Terminator. But that's on my mind. Uh, <laughs> we talk about you know, accountability for, for making wrong decisions on a battlefield. That's the reason why we have the Uniform Code of Military Justice, why we have the law of land warfare, why I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that the people who break the law, who invade countries and kill civilians uh, deliberately, are held to account. Um, we've got to do something to restrain um, you know, human barbarity. So that the idea that the DOD in looking at AI, what the rules should be and what the constraints and limitations should be, I think is a good thing. Um, does that matter and, and bear on in an enforceable way uh, on private industry? Uh, not not as much. There, there need to be rules uh, on the private side as well that govern what Google creates, uh, that govern what uh, other agencies out there that are, that are building things, whether it's you know, Elon Musk or NASA or anyone else. You know, what are their rules? What are, what are the consequences should something go wrong? We talk about who's, who's accountable uh, when a self-driving car, a, a Tesla, you know, accidentally runs over uh, a bicyclist. Is it the programmer? Uh, is it the sensor designers? Was it the integrators who built the vehicle? Um, the, the lawyers are, are right now spinning in circles trying to figure out exactly what the rules should be for that. 
We're talking with uh, retired Army Colonel Matt Dooley about artificial intelligence. And last question here before we have to go to break. Um, part of the scariness is some of the stuff that you've just mentioned. I mean, how hackable is this intelligence? Could it be manipulated by foreign uh, operatives with bad agendas? Because I'm under the uh, impression that they're going to be building in the future, putting this intelligence sort of on every chip, on every circuit board, anywhere ever, so that it can try to prevent things like uh, releasing EMPs over our atmosphere, things like that. It could detect them ahead of time, stop them in their tracks. But if that's true, then how hackable is this and how can it be manipulated? I think those are fair questions. Um, it's, it's very similar to how you govern the software on your own computer. You know, you, you install software as an operating system, and then you go find uh, cyber protection softwares to, to apply on it. You know, is, that, is that McAfee? Is it some, something else that you put on top of uh, your baseline? But the last thing you would do is, is turn on your computer, uh, having bought it out of the store, tie it into the Internet, and leave it unprotected because um, you're, you're an irresistible hack target. Yeah. That's the last thing we would want to do with an AI hmm. is plug it in and not have some of, of the protections and protocols in place to, to ensure that the software that helps it think uh, is not All right. Uh, we are out of time. I want to thank Colonel Matt Dilley for being on with us and commenting here, but uh, we're going to go to break. We'll be right back. This is a Messy Family Minute with Mike and Alicia Hernan. Summer's here, and one of the most important things you can do with your children this summer is waste time with them. One of the best ways to waste time with kids is by playing with them. Card games, board games, group games, charades. But why are fun and games so important in family life? Having fun as a family reminds us that we are more than just a breadwinner or a chore machine. It's a way of reclaiming our identity as a family and spending time in those relationships that matter most. Fun and games helps to grease the wheels in family life and helps everyone to live and work together more effectively. Enjoying the presence of those we love also gives us a foretaste of heaven, that wonderful communion that we will have with loved ones and with God our Father. So ask yourself and your spouse this important question. How can we play together as a family this summer? For more on this topic, listen to our podcast on games at MessyFamilyMinute.org. I once had a gentleman come up to me and say he didn't think the principle of non-contradiction was true. That perhaps something could be and not be in the same respect at the same place and time. Now, skepticism doesn't get any more radical than this. The principle of non-contradiction is the principle upon which all human knowledge is based. So, how do we defend it? It's pretty simple. A skeptic can only speak against the principle if his words have the intended meaning and not the opposite. For example, if a skeptic says the principle is false, well, then he must intend the statement to mean what it expresses and not the opposite, namely, the principle is true. But this presupposes the principle and thus undermines his attempt to deny it. So a skeptic can't deny the principle of non-contradiction without ending in self-defeat. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. The Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain.
Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time and Fear and Trembling, the Catholic Trivia Game Show with secrets and agendas, but we want to play the game, so that means we need a caller on the line to do that. If you would like to play the game, possibly win some cool prizes, well, now is your chance. The phone lines are wide open, and Adrian is going to take your call at 877-757-9424. First caller gets to be the contestant at 877-757-9424. Call right now, 877-757-9424 is the phone number. Now, here's the deal, all right? You've got to keep this just between us, but uh, there are secrets and agendas here. Number one, we like to teach the faith so we look for teachable moments in the questions where you might learn something new about your catholic faith that you had uh, never known before praise be to god that's a cool thing and then of course we you know like to have a laugh we like to have a good time our callers are in fact amazing and then of course we give out prizes which means it's a winner for everybody involved but here's the kicker there are three catholic trivia questions but the caller does not need to know a single correct answer they could not know any of the answers and still win the game and that's because instead of asking them i will ask rudy i will ask uh, adrian and the caller will then have 15 seconds to make a decision whom do they trust more rudy or adrian one of which will be correct the other will be incorrect and then every correct answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize but that's the deal but we do need a caller to play the game and that phone number is 877-757-9424 877-757-9424 call right now 877 877- Seven five seven nine four two four. You're almost guaranteed to get into the cup. By the way, it's a lot of fun. It's super easy and no stress. At eight seven 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 five seven ninety four twenty four. Rudy, what could they win? All right. So June is the month of the Sacred Heart of our Blessed Lord Jesus. Now, let me give you a quote here. Mary is the safest, easiest, and shortest, the most effective way of approaching Jesus, and will surrender and will surrender themselves to her, body and soul, without reserve in order to belong entirely to Jesus. That's from St. Louis de Montfort. You might be wondering, what does that have anything to do with the Sacred Heart? Well, this week, we're going to be given away a pair of rosaries, his and hers, made by hand by one of our dear listeners. So you can pray the rosary every single day and ask our Blessed Mother to lead you to the most sacred heart of Jesus. She is the surest and easiest way, and that's how this ties back into the sacred heart of Jesus, which is this month, this month of June. I just want to say thank you to the Lujan family for providing this for us, these prizes to give away to our our listeners this week. So you're going to be winning a pair of handmade rosaries by one of our dear listeners. Oh, that's super cool. Praise be to God. All in the month of the Sacred Heart. So we're very grateful Amen. to our generous sponsors who make it possible for us to uh, to give prizes away. We're very grateful to you. I think we're uh, we're Adrian screening a call right now, so hopefully we'll be able to be able to play our game here, but uh, this is going to be a lot of fun, Adrian. Are we all set? All right, here we go. Let's go to the phones. Cody, good morning to you. Thanks for being on the show today. Hi, how are you doing today? Praise be to God, I'm alive, and that counts. How are you? <laughs> alive as well. <laughs> well there you go. We're, see, already starting the day off well. Praise be to Jesus. Now, where are you calling from? Uh, Houston, Texas. I just started work and heard you guys on the radio, so I thought it would be fun to call in. Oh, fantastic. Uh, we're glad you're here, Cody. Thanks for uh, tuning in today. Now, 
Are you familiar with the game? Do you know how these rules work? I have no idea. This is my first time. Well, we're, we're glad you're on. So let me explain. I have three Catholic trivia questions, uh, but you don't need to know the answers. I'm going to ask Rudy, and I'm going to ask Adrian. One of them will give you a correct answer. The other will give you an incorrect answer. You'll have 15 seconds to decide who do you trust more, and then every correct answer will go into the cup, and you'll be eligible to win this week's prize. Are you ready to play, Cody? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. All right. Praise be to God. We're going to go to Rudy first, as is our custom, our patrimony here, our uh, CDF-approved tradition. Welcome to the team, Rudy. Are you ready to go? By the way, I'm wearing a red tie today, uh, so interpret that as you will. I'm, I am wearing a tie today. A red one, I see. So, Or is it maroon? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's maroon. Oh, it's maroon. Go okay. Aggies, as you say. Yeah, Giga Maggies. All right. Rudy, can you tell me... Who is the patron saint of maids? Ah, uh, yes. That's Saint Zita. Saint Zita, you say? Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think I've heard that someplace, actually. Uh, let's see what Adrian says. Adrian, can you tell me who is the patron saint of maids? Yes. The patron saint of maids mm -hmm. is Saint Matthias. Really? Yeah. Wow. I know. Huh. It's very strange, isn't it? St. Matthias, you say? Yep. That's fascinating. Okay. Uh, any reason why? No idea. No idea. No idea. No I idea. think it has something to do with just, you know, the fact that he was a, a servant of all. And so they're oh, like, oh, we're just going to make him. I see the connection you're making the, there. Yeah. So okay. Something uh -huh. like that. Okay. Makes sense to me. Does it? Well, there's one anyway. All right, uh, Cody, you got choices here. Who is the patron saint of maids? Is it St. Matthias? As Brother Adrian seems to suggest, or is it St. Zeta, as Rudy is telling us? 15 seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? Cody in Houston, what say you? Uh, it would be St. Zeta. Ooh, I like the confidence. Nice. Nailed it. Mm, Did you Google wise. that, Cody? Be honest. Uh, yeah, absolutely, I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're in the cup. Praise be to God. St. <laughs> Zeta is the correct answer. The patron saint of maids. Okay. Uh, this next one is like, it's one of those questions that you you should know if you're, as a Catholic, but you hate being asked because you can never remember correctly. Uh, we're going to go to Adrian first on this one. Adrian, there's no excuse. You should know this. I should know this? You should know this. I should know this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is not good. What is the ninth station of the cross? The ninth station of the cross. We're talking about, like, station of the cross. Like, you go to church, and there's, like, the crosses on the around the church. Mm -hmm. that, that station yeah. of the cross, not the other one? Yes, okay. exactly. Not just the making one sure. in, like, New York. Not that one. Okay, okay. Just, just making sure. Yes. A little confused. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with, hmm... That Veronica wiping the face of our Lord. That, okay. Mm -hmm. that, that's an option. It is an option. Yes, it is. That's one of the crosses. Is it the ninth one? That's the question. Let's see what Rudy says. Rudy, can you tell me, what is the ninth station of the cross, sir? Okay, that happens to be Jesus falling for the third time. Not just second think one. about the weight of that cross, our sins crushing him mm -hmm. again and again and again as he falls down. It's uh, Jesus Falls for the third time. Wow. All right. 
Well, Cody, I don't know how fast your Google fingers are working this morning, but what is the ninth <laughs> station of the cross? Is it Jesus falls for the third time, as Rudy says, or is it Veronica wiping the face of our Lord, as Adrian seems to suggest? 15 seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? Cody, what say you? I'm going to go with uh, Jesus falls for the third time. Whew, you're good at that Google thing. <laughs> Man. Easy peasy. Easy peasy. Easy peasy. Though, I, to be honest, I never would have got that. You, I, I have no idea what the order is. <laughs> no, no, no. It's like the Ten Commandments. I'll always get those wrong if you ask me. But I, but I should know them anyway. All right. Uh, third question. I'm going to be honest with you, Cody. I feel hardest like I've, know, I've known you long enough that I can be honest with you. Easily the hardest question today. This actually might be the hardest question we ever had. I may agree with Adrian that. for the first time ever on the show. Could be... The hardest question we've ever had. We're going to go back to Rudy. Rudy, can you tell me? What is the term for the added or inserted prayer, such as for thy kingdom, for the, or for the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever, often used as an extension to the Our Father? What do we call that extra piece? Glory, amen. At my church, we call that novelty. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Do they always say it that way is my next question. It's my Which one do you go to? <laughs> like, I want to make sure I don't go there. <laughs> yes. They we lift it. up our arms and we say glory. Amen. <laughs> is your answer novelty? Is that the, that's what you're novelty trying to say. Novelty is what we call it. Okay, novelty. Uh-huh. Adrian, <clears throat> can you tell me, what is the term for the added or inserted prayer such as for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever, mm -hmm. which is often used as an extension to the Our Father. What do we call that? Yes, that would be an embolism. An embolism. An embolism. Huh. Which is different from the medical term. I, the, I was going to ask yeah. that. As a Not related. Not at related. All. Okay. Well, Cody, um, good thing you got that theological degree because uh, this is going to might need that there. So what is this little piece that's added to the end of the Our Father? Uh, called Is It an Embolism, as Adrian says, or is it a novelty, as uh, Brother Rudy seems to think? 15 seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? Cody, what say you? I'm going to go embolism. <laughs> yeah. Perfect score, Cody. Did you know that? I mean, there's no way you Google that one. No, actually, that was a 50-50 guess. Hey! You did well. Praise be to God. <laughs> You're in for three. Thanks for playing our game this morning, Cody. Thanks for tuning in for the first time. We're so grateful to have you on the show today. God bless you. We're going to put you on hold. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're going to put you on hold so we get your phone number. But have a great day, Cody. All right, that is going to do it for the radio side of our show. If you can hang out with us in the after show, one of the live video feeds, I think Al Smith may be back on. We're going to continue the conversation with you directly at grnonline.com forward slash CDT. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's Facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you.
Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today is the Monday of the 12th week in Ordinary Time. The intention for today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. With your spirit. Our brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. You were sent to heal the contrite of heart. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. You came to call sinners. Christ, have mercy. You are seated at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Let us pray. Grant, O Lord, that we may always revere and love your holy name. For you never deprive of your guidance those you set firm on the foundation of your love. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the second book of Kings. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, occupied the whole land and attacked Samaria, which he besieged for three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, the king of Assyria took Samaria and deported the children of Israel to Assyria, settling them in Hala at the, at the Habor, a river of Gozan, and the cities of the Medes. This came about because the children of Israel sinned against the Lord, their God, who had brought them up from the land of Egypt, from under the dominion of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and because they venerated other gods. They followed the rights of the nations, whom the Lord had cleared out of the way of the children of Israel and the kings of Israel, whom they set up. And though the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and seer, give up your evil ways and keep my commandments and statutes in accordance with the entire law which I enjoined on your fathers and which I set before you, set by you by my servants, the prophets, they did not listen, but were as stiff-necked as their fathers who had not believed in the Lord their God. They rejected his statutes, the covenant which he had made with their fathers, and the warnings which he had given them, till in his great anger against Israel, the Lord put them away out of his sight. Only the tribe of Judah was left. The word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Help us with your right hand, O Lord, and answer us. Help us with your right hand, O Lord, and answer us. O God, you have rejected us and broken our defenses. You have been angry. Rally us. Help us with your right hand, O Lord, and answer us. You have rocked the country and split it open. Repair the cracks in it, for it is tottering. You have made your people feel hardships. You have given us stupefying wine. Help us with your right hand, O Lord, and answer us. Have not you, O God, rejected us, so that you go not forth, O God, with our armies? Give us aid against the foe, for worthless is the help of men. Help us with your right hand, O Lord, and answer us. Alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. The Word of God is living and effective, able to discern reflections and thoughts of the heart. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. With you sir. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, Stop judging, that you may not be judged. For as you judge, so will you be judged, and the measure with which you measure will be measured out to you. Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the wooden beam in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove that splinter from your eye while the wooden beam is in your eye? You hypocrite, remove the wooden beam from your eye first, then you will see clearly to remove the splinter from your brother's eye. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. At first reading, we're continuing the book of Kings, in this case, the second book of Kings, and here we, uh, we hear of how the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, is sent into exile because they did not follow the Lord's commandment. And the very last line of that reading is important. It says, only the tribe of Judah was left. Only the tribe of Judah, or Benjamin too in the south, they were the only ones who were left spared, but only for a time, because they too uh, will disobey the Lord and not follow his way, and they too will be put into exile. Uh, it's only a matter of, of time. But it sets up uh, the way, God's way in which he is going to save and, and to redeem Israel by bringing them eventually back to the Holy Land and establishing that Jerusalem is going to be the place where God will reside. It is going to be his mercy seat. Um, and of course, it will be destroyed, but then they will, they, will be, they will rebuild it. But it will become more and more obvious that God had chosen Zion, he had chosen Jerusalem as his resting place. And that's, of course, when we fast forward from there is where Jesus comes. He comes and he saves us, of course, through his cross. When we look at the gospel, there's another piece of wood. <laughs> Jesus talks about a great beam that happens to be in our own eye. He says, stop judging that you may not be judged. For as you judge, so will you be judged. Uh, 
this, I think, this reading always strikes us deeply to the heart. That old saying that when you point the finger at one person, there's always three pointing back at you. Jesus is saying, is Jesus saying that we should not judge at all? Well, that's almost really impossible. We we have to judge things. That's why we have we have justice. We try to have it's imperfect, but we have justice in this world. We have judges who have to judge cases based on the facts that are presented to them. I remember hearing one uh, state supreme court justice who always had it written above the door before he went out to the courtroom. Something that, I don't remember the exact words, but something to the effect of just remember that you you might be wrong. <laughs> And it was a sober. It was a way, just a sobering thought, that when they went in and they pronounced judgment on this particular case or that particular case, that they would try to do their this person would try to do their best to get it right, but recognize that they probably wouldn't always get it right. And so, do we have to judge? Well, yes, in certain things because we don't have perfect knowledge. We don't have all the information. But what the Lord warns us, I think, is from two things. First, and probably most importantly that we wouldn't judge somebody's eternal salvation or damnation. We cannot judge that. That is something that is really left to the Lord. <clears throat> we don't know whether somebody is worthy of heaven or hell. We might see from their outward actions, they might be going in a certain direction, but that is not ultimately for us to judge. But the second one, probably more important, and it comes into our, our daily life, is that uh, that we don't rashly or have rash judgments towards somebody. Usually somebody comes in and we, we sort of have kind of already begun to analyze them by the clothes they're wearing, by, uh, by where they're from, or these different things. And we might judge whether they're this kind of, that person, that kind of person. But if we would just suspend that for a moment and allow the person who, who has come into our life or has come into, uh, upon our path to see them for a moment as Jesus would see them. That's the measure with which we we need to measure, um, and then you know to, that that would be the criteria by which we would see the other person. It was Saint Benedict, and he given his rule uh, rule of Saint Benedict was that those who would come to visit the monastery would be received as if it was Christ Himself. So if you ever go to Benedict the monastery, that's how you should be received, as if the Lord had come Himself. That kind of hospitality. And so we have to be careful that we don't simply judge somebody as, oh, okay, they, they come from here, they're wearing these certain kind of clothes, or they're all tatted up, that means this. But rather to be able to, to suspend that and to allow uh, whatever the person, whatever their needs, whatever they want to tell us, that we would be open and be able to listen. I think you sometimes here today, you know, Pope Francis many years ago says, uh, who am I to judge? The media took this, of course, as they applied the Jesus about anything. But I think it's important to recognize the context with which he was speaking. Because I think, one, it helps us to be able to understand and then to explain to others what exactly he meant when he said this. The context was he was on an airplane flight, and I remember one journalist saying, he says, you know, the, the papal flights, he says, the, uh, the food is okay, but the in-flight entertainment is out of this world, because you're never quite sure what Pope Francis is going to say next. But he, when he said that, who am I to judge? The context was, is that at that time, uh, seminaries were basically rejecting anybody who had any kind of same-sex attraction because of the difficulty when you put one man who is a, who has an attraction to the same sex with a bunch of other people that he might be attracted to, then of course problems can arise. But the Pope Francis was basically saying, well, but what if the person is able to live a chaste life? <laughs> 
who perhaps has not gone and, and acted upon that, that attraction in his life, is it possible that he can continue and to be and to become a priest and to do his ministry well, even though he may have that struggle? Of course, we who have a heterosexual attraction obviously have that struggle in our life. However, we don't live with people of the opposite sex, so um, it, the, obviously the difficulty is not always there. But is somebody, if they were able to live a chaste life, can they go on and and have a very fruitful and and uh, and pure priesthood? He says, well, who am I to judge? He says, it's possible, perhaps. Although we don't know where this exactly will go or how this will play out in, in the real world. The fact is, is that if somebody really is able to live this well, why should we prevent them from, from going on? And that was really his comment. Well, who am I to judge? So, but of course, that is applied by the media. It is about any situation. Who am I to judge? No, we have to judge. We have to be able to uh, analyze and make decisions in the concrete cases that are put before us. But what we need to do is first to maybe suspend that and to help, help and to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to see with the eyes of Christ, to help us to put away all what we think uh, should happen or what we think is of the ultimate criteria and allow the Lord to, inf to inform us. So may our greatest measure be Jesus Christ. And sometimes we have to analyze our own self. We have to say, okay, well, maybe, maybe I'm looking at this person and I have that struggle with that same problem. You know, it's interesting that people who uh, struggle with uh, uh, people who come to Mass and they're not very modestly dressed and they can become very angry and agitated about it, almost 90% of the time struggle with chastity themselves. The thing is, is because we recognize the difficulty and so that's where it has to first be addressed in ourselves. And then we'll recognize that the other person's problem is, it's a problem, but it's not perhaps as big as we've made it out to be and we have so much more to work on. Perhaps this story can, will end our, our reflection today of the gospel. Um, Gandhi, I think, I hear this story about Gandhi. This woman, mother, brought her young son, must have been about eight or nine, and was basically out of control, could not focus on anything, was always agitated. And Gandhi told the woman, she says, well, come back in a year, and I'll let you know what his problem is. So sure enough, the mother comes back 12 months later, and Gandhi was reported and said, stop feeding him chocolate. And of course, the mother was just put out. I mean, that's all? That's all you have to say? You know, he says, why didn't you tell me that a year ago? And says, Gandhi said, well, I had to realize it myself. I had to get rid of chocolate so I could understand what the problem that the boy was having. That's a way, I think, of living out this gospel so beautifully. That he recognized the beam in his own eye, First, he had to take it out so he could see the splinter that was in this little boy's eye. He suffered from eating too much chocolate, which you know, got, his, uh, got him out of, out of whack. So, as Jesus says, let us stop judging that we may not be judged. And the measure with which we measure will be measured out to us. May that measure be Jesus Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, gathered as one to celebrate the good things we have received from our God, let us ask him to prompt in his prayers that are worthy of his hearing. Let us pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, for Michael, our bishop, for all the clergy, for the people entrusted to their charge. We pray to the Lord. Lord, Lord. Lord.
Let's pray for those who hold public office and those who assist them in promoting the common good. We pray to the Lord. For those who travel by sea, land, or air, for captives and all held in prison, let us pray to the Lord. For all of us gathered in this sacred place by faith and devotion, by love and reverence for God, and for those who are joining us through Guadalupe Radio and online, we pray to the Lord. May the petitions of your church be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, so that we may we may receive from your mercy what we cannot ask out of confidence in our own merits through Christ our Lord. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you, fruit of the earth and work of human hands, become for us the bread of life. Blessed be God. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you, fruit of the vine and work of human hands, become our spiritual drink. Let's be God forever. Pray to the beloved that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands. For the praise and glory of his name, for our good and good of all his holy church. Receive, O Lord, the sacrifice of conciliation and praise, and grant that cleansed by its action we may we may make offering of a pure of a heart pleasing to you through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere, to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God. For just as through your beloved Son you created the human race, so also through him with great goodness you formed it anew. And so it is right that all your creatures serve you, all the redeemed praise you, and all your saints with one heart bless you. Therefore we too extol you with all the angels, as in joyful celebration we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabao, Pleni Sunceli et Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna, in you are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and, giving thanks, broke it gave it to his disciples, saying, 
Take this, all of you, and eat of it. For this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith. When we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death, O Lord, until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that, partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church is spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, for the blessed apostles and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days. By the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. Peace of the Lord be with you always. Let's offer to the sign of peace.
Agnusdehi, Vitolis Pecatamundi, Miserere Nobis, Agnusdehi, Vitolis Pecatamundi, Miserere Nobis, Agnusdehi, Vitolis Pecatamundi, Dona nobis pace. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Only say the word, and my soul shall be. The eyes of all look to you, Lord, and you give them their food in due season. An act of spiritual communion. By Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart, Embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Adoro te devote latens de hitas, que subis figuris vere latitas. Tibi secur meum totum subicit, quia te contemplans totum deficit. Amen. Let us pray. Renewed 
and nourished by the sacred body and precious blood of your Son, we ask of your mercy, O Lord, that what we celebrate with constant devotion may be our sure pledge of redemption through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go forth, the Mass is ended. Thanks. The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruins of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy that peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Transmitting the treasures of our Catholic faith to your radio every day. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. I'm Catherine Schaefer, music director at the Church of the Annunciation. Have you ever thought about joining choir? We'd love to have you. Come check us out. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network.